welcome to Food Friday here on the Hunt Harvest Health Podcast, where we dish out food topics, recipes, and answer your questions related to food, food prep, and nutrition. Find our recipes and tips on our website at huntharvesthealth.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Hunt Harvest Health Podcast. Today's Food Friday is going to be about fermentation. And again, we're going to have one of my favorite guests on, uh, Dr. Jillian Tita. I know we just had her on a few podcasts ago, and it may seem like it's kind of soon, but I got to sit down with her in Arizona, and it just it, um, it just kind of is appropriate because she is launching her kombucha class this week, the week of August 1st. And so I wanted to get this fermentation podcast out so you guys could learn all about it. And then if you wanted to enroll and do her five-part kombucha class online, you can also go to JillianTita.com. And you will find the kombucha class there that you can sign up for. And it's a wealth of information to help you learn everything you needed to know about making kombucha the right way. It's actually a video module pro, um, online program. So you can kind of, once you buy it, you have it and you can use it in the future to uh, make your perfect kombuchas. So today, before we get started with uh, Dr. Jillian, I have a special guest. My eight-year-old daughter, Paley Bell. Hi, Paley. Hi, Mom. (laughs) Isn't this so exciting every time you get on this podcast with me and you talk about stuff? Yeah, I remember the time when you had to go upstairs and you had to get Tana, and I was like, sorry, guys, the podcast is over. (laughs) I'm sorry. What podcast was that? Wasn't that our Puppy Milk podcast? Yeah, that was. Yeah, that was back in the winter time. If you want to, I think that was around St. Patrick's Day, right? We even talked about trapping the leprechaun. Yeah, I think. Do you remember? Uh, yeah, but like, that was like the morning where we were going to grab Eds. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, what are we doing today? Uh, we are outside. We are. Doing water. Doing water. We're splashing water at each other. Yeah. We're doing a water fight. Uh-huh. Yep. It's about 90 degrees right now and super hot, at least for us here in Seattle and humid. So we are outside enjoying the weather. Going to have a water fight. We're also um, picking the pits out of some plums we picked off the tree across the street, right? Mm-hmm. And what are we going to do with it? Uh, we are going to make jelly out of it. That's right. I'm going to attempt to make jelly, everybody, because Ryan is gone on his first 2017 deer hunt, and he's usually the one who makes jelly. So Paley and I are going to attempt to make jelly this week. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. And if it all works out well, look for it on the Harvest Health Recipes section, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, Paley, tell me about kombucha. You like kombucha? Yeah, we used to buy it all the time. We buy it? No, we used to. Do you want to tell me about what you like about it? I like the flavor. Mm-hmm. What do you like about the flavor? I like it because it's good. Yeah. And my favorite kind is mango. Yeah, we had a man- we bought a mango tea and we made it with mango tea and that was really good. Uh, is there anything else you want to say? Is there any other fermented foods that we eat that you like? You like yogurt? 
at Grandma's house today, we had some yogurt that I liked. It was strawberry. Um, yeah. And then she said she would get the raspberry to see if it would taste good to, yeah. the, to the strawberry. We've made yogurt ourselves, right? Yeah. Daddy and I were making yogurt. We have both of those recipes on the website. I guess. We're going to be making sauerkraut. I guess. And pickles mm-hmm. this year. Wait, you make pickles? Yeah. All those cucumbers in the garden? Oh, yeah, those. And Daddy also does the uh, beets, the pickled fermented beets. Oh. Yep. We'll get a recipe on the website, too, for those soon. It's beet season right now. The beets are going crazy, so we have to do something with all of them. Ryan likes beets just like he likes greens, so we end up having to figure out what we're going to do with all the beets, huh? Mm-hmm. The best is the is the canned pickled beets with the onions my favorite what's your corn your favorite is corn yeah your corn's getting kind of tall out there huh yeah they're starting to grow those things on the The tassels yeah those are starting to grow we don't grow corn very well here but it's doing pretty good i would say even if i'm not watering it it's like i know going crazy it's blowing up yeah yeah well, is there anything else you want to say about fermentation? What about Dr. Jillian? Mm, she's my auntie. Yeah, she's and we call her Auntie Jillian in this house. She's been one of my best friends for a long time. And uh, anything else? About my drinks. Yeah, let's talk about your drinks. So I have one of my... I just made some new drinks. One of them's called my herb drink. Mm-hmm. And I put, what's that first ingredient? I put, put you can put any kind of water, fizzy water, regular water, lemon water, any type of water you like. You can even put lime juice or whatever kind of juice in there. Mm-hmm. It's good. And I put, what's that first herb I put in there again? Is it the stevia? Is it the sweet herb? No, that's my second. The first one, remember? That looked like kind of roses. Oh, yeah. That's an herb from Greece. Okay, so... I forget what the name of it is. I bought it. I have had that for a long time. And it's an herb from Greece that we used for respiratory distress. I would make tea out of it when the kids got sick with colds. And Wait, what um, kids? You guys. Oh. Yeah. But uh, Paley found it, and she likes to use it for her drink. I think I left at Nanny's. Oh, that's okay. What other so, herbs are you using? I have the stevia, like... Mm-hmm. Like, I got fresh... I got dried stevia and turkey, right? Like, yeah. And like, you only need a little bit of stevia. The, the the real plant, like the dried plant, that stuff is super sweet. So yeah. we use a little bit. And then, and then I put in rosemary. And rosemary from our yard. Yep, and then you can, like, put in, like, mint mm-hmm. or any type of herb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bought you some cilantro today and parsley, so you could maybe make some drinks. You know, you have a drink on the website. The beginning of the summer, we put a drink on the recipe section with the fizzy water and the aloe vera in it, remember? And the lemon... And the tangerine, we mixed it all up in that. We took pictures of it. Remember? That. 
Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. my healthy soda? Yeah, your healthy soda. So we have that drink on the website. You can go to huntharvesthealth.com slash recipes to find that. And maybe we'll also share Paley's herb drink. Yeah, I have another drink that I can share with you guys. So I made a fizzy mango. And it's with fizzy water, lemon, lime, and mango juice. Mm. You can put whatever you want in there except the mango. The mango is pretty much what makes it fizzy mango. And you can make anything you want in there. Mm-hmm. But if you have a mango or mango juice, you should probably put that in there. Yeah, and I I think we could even make popsicles out of that, couldn't we? Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, we could make some popsicles with that. <sighs> yeah. So, okay, well, anything else you want to say, P, before we let people go listen to Dr. Jillian talk about fermentation? No? Yep, I do. Oh, okay. So, I just made a drink for me and my mom outside. We were we were playing outside, and I thought, because she's taking a nap, and I thought I could make a drink for her. And I was taking a nap. I fell asleep with my two-year-old, because I got up really early this morning for work. So, I thought I could put in fizzy water. Some cherry and lemon juice, and then I mix it, and then I put a straw in there, and like, and then I use a lemon, which like I can squeeze it in there and then put it on the cup, and um, it was all done, mm. and it was really good. Okay, well we'll have to get a picture of that yeah. for Instagram. Okay. That's right. Look for that on Instagram, everybody, at Doc Hillary or Hunt Harvest Health. Yep. Okay, well, we're going to let you go. Learn about fermentation, why it's so good for you and your gut, your microbiome. And if you're interested, like I said, in Dr. Jillian's kombucha class, you can find that at fixyourdigestion.com as well as Fix Your Digestion on Facebook. Today we're doing another Food Friday, and I'm excited to have one of my besties, Dr. Jillian uh, Tita, here with me. We're in Arizona, and I'm just trying to corral her to get her to do as many podcasts as with me in person as possible, because I don't get to see her very often like this, and so that's, I'm like... What podcast can we do? What can we talk about? And as you know, she's the gut specialist. So hi, Jill. Hey, Hillary. Thank you for having me on again. Of course. (laughs) Thank you for being on again. (laughs) Okay. So um, what I thought we could talk today about, which is something that you're one of your loves and something that we've talked a lot about in the gut restoration program is fermentation. Mm -hmm. And I... The fermentation that we've talked about is the kombucha. So it's really interesting to see through social media and feedback we get from people who are listening and going to recipes. And when I put the kombucha recipe out, making your own kombucha, I was like getting pictures of like 
middle-aged men who, you know, probably have never eaten much fermented food in their life making their own kombuchas and sending me their recipes and their pictures of their jars of kombucha. <laughs> and so there's been like this movement of kombucha yeah. in the Hunt Harvest Health uh, community here. So it's really fun to see that. And uh, so I thought talking about the actual ferment history of fermentation and why it's so good for us. Yeah. And then maybe you can give us some recipes and talk a little bit more about kombucha and some different stuff. So yeah, does that sound good? It does. Okay. I know the other day we were hanging out in the pool and we were like, why does everybody, why is everybody talking about kombucha now or fermentation now? Like, why are we hearing about this so much? And it's a really neat conversation to have because I think there's a lot of different reasons. So back in the day, back in colonial times, way, way even before that, fermented foods were actually an integral part of human nutrition. But as you know, over the last several decades, you know, the 70s, the 80s, and 90s, use, household use really went down. And now I think we're seeing the pendulums swing the other way, right? So now we're seeing more fermented foods in the grocery store. We're seeing more health blogs about them. We're seeing just different people talk about them more and more and more. So I think there's like that historical context of way back in the day, we had more fermented foods and then that sort of like fell out of favor and now it's coming back in favor. I think too, you know, part of that history of fermentation is remember refrigeration has not been around very long mm -hmm. and that uh, a lot of these cultures, I mean, most cultures around the world were doing some sort of fermentation of food in their diet because they were needing to keep it good for mm -hmm. longer and fermentation helps to do that, yes. right? Yep. It's a preservative. Right. And then the realization of, whoa, if when this food is fermented, it's like it's creating this substance mm -hmm. that's helping us digest and break down and fight like bacterial things and fungal things in food, right? Yes. Because it's breaking that down. And then even like beer, I mean, grains were originally fermented because they would last longer. Right. Right. So beer and whiskey and these things that we hear of, scotch and all these kinds of things, they're because fermentation was really important to keep water and grain and all that around longer. So, yes. of course, that leads to, you know, drinking a lot of booze, but that's kind of, you know, th that's fermentation. Well, even a little tiny bit of alcohol, like say something like kombucha, just like mm -hmm. that tiny, 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 tiny amount will keep water fresh longer. So it's actually, not only is it a preservative, but it's also a little bit therapeutic as well. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about culturally, um, like in the States, mm -hmm. it hasn't been a big cultural thing, I think for fermentation since we've kind of implemented processed diets, like in the Western world, but can you talk a little bit about cultures that do eat fermented and what we see maybe health wise? Sure. You'll actually see in any part of the world, you'll see that culture eating their own sort of variety of fermented foods. So beyond something like, say, yogurt or tzatziki, kefir, water kefir, something called shrubs, which is basically like a, a vinegar sweetened with fruit syrup and honey. Mm. That's a fermented drink. We've got things like kimchi, course, sauerkraut all over the world, different types of fermented teas everywhere. We have fermented soybeans, right, in Asia, natto. I think natto is disgusting. Have you ever had it? 
I haven't, but <laughs> so you know, when we do this, like I do medical like research on it. It says natto is literally like one of the best foods to feed your digestive bacteria. <laughs> I'm, sure I'm like disgusting like, because it basically tastes like <laughs> bacteria. It's so gross. <laughs> Eat the worst possible yeah. tasting thing and you'll be healthy. It's like most people are like, no, nada, <laughs> not going to do it. Well, and there's fermented fish, like up in the Nordic countries, you know, again, every, every area right. in the world's got some. Right. So the other thing I think that's has to be part of the fermented food conversation from a health perspective is also in the last 10, 15 years, we have been seeing this enormous sort of exponential increase in research in the human microbiome, right? That mm-hmm. colony of beneficial bacteria that lives in our guts. And I think it's worth mentioning just for a couple minutes talking about the microbiome and what it is. So we're talking about this enormous, vast ecosystem of bacterial cells that numbers essentially one trillion to 100 trillion bacterial cells, right? And so for context, our human body has about 1 trillion human cells. So we are at least as much bacterial as we are human, right? And so even just thinking about that as a a total trip, I think. So, (laughs) So this whole colony weighs about four pounds and it works like an organ, and a nervous system, and an endocrine system, and an immunological system all in one. Mm-hmm. So it is literally impacting everything from our immune function to our digestion, of course, to our hormonal activation and recycling and breakdown, to our neurological function, to our neurotransmitter function. And then it even impacts things like our emotional and mental well-being, our waistlines, our blood lipids. The more we look into the health effects of the microbiome and what different roles it's involved in human physiology and human health and disease risk, we're seeing a greater and greater role. And what fermented foods do is they deliver a lot of probiotics, which are the beneficial slash supplemental form of these healthy bacteria that are going to nourish your microbiome, make their numbers be more robust, make their, make their strains and their numbers be more diverse. So just a fabulous solution, a fabulous supplement. Why, why do you think that there has been such a change in eating fermented foods and stuff in the Western diet over probably the last, I don't know, 100 years? Well, I think as you saw years. the, so as you see the rise, as you saw the rise of processed foods through the industrial revolution, I think that you saw a decrease in these fermented foods because just culturally or socially, you're having this greater interest in foods that are processed because it either meant something or we saw this sort of uh, exodus from fermented foods. Mm-hmm. And like we were talking about earlier, I think that, so it was kind of like on the on the down low. And then in the last several decades, the last several years, the pendulum is swinging back around again. And you're seeing this rise as you see folks begin to understand that this more processed standard American diet is not working for most folks. Mm-hmm. And so we're sort of seeing like a, a move towards going back to a more traditional or pre-industrial sort of palate. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that, uh, you know, just kind of knowing the mechanism of how our microbiome is working in all these different physiological functions, like you just mentioned, um, and somebody was to start introducing fermented foods into their diet, are there any like maybe side effects or certain conditions in which people may find it hard to eat fermented foods or cause they're kind of a way to ramp up in eating your foods, mm-hmm. um, 
I don't know. I guess I guess introduction. Yeah, How like a, what's an entry? What's like an entry level fermented food consumption? Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so for people, that. so for people who I would say have been eating more of a standard American diet or even healthy diet, if you're you know just starting with like your first jar of sauerkraut, really you only need a couple bites. So scoop out like two or three forkfuls Mm -hmm. and chew it up really well and just see how it goes. Mm -hmm. So when we introduce a food like this, side effects that I might be looking for is you might experience a little bit more like gurgling or maybe like like a little bit of gas or bloating. This is just a uh, shifting, I guess, of the microflora and your gut's bacteria response to to this other input. Um, But I think for the most part, most people can tolerate it fantastically well. There are <laughs> there are a community of people or like a, a wave of natural health practitioners that will say folks that have candida or small intestine bacterial overgrowth like should absolutely eat no fermented foods at all. Right. And I actually challenge that because clinically I have worked with dozens of people that have been able to tolerate fermented foods. And during some of my research for my kombucha class, there are a whole slew of candida killing enzymes and compounds that are found in kombucha. So I don't know if this trend on the internet or like the natural blogosphere, like I don't know where it started. Is this the the FODMAP group? No. What's the... So this is like the anti-candida people, you know, the people that have like candida overgrowth can't eat any fermented foods. Can you explain what candida is? So candida is a type of yeast. Okay. And we have it naturally in our gut too. Some people, not everybody does. Not everybody does. In a normal, healthy, functioning microbiome, usually they can be kept under control. But if they get in higher levels or you have a certain imbalance in your immune system or whatever, candida overgrowth can be present. By the way, candida overgrowth, just for your listeners, because I know getting on the natural blogosphere, you see all these crazy like checklists on the internet and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Candida overgrowth is really only diagnosed via a stool test where they'll actually go in and look and qualify and quantify the candida. Don't do a checklist. Don't do a spit test. Even an organic acid test, as much as I like those, are not like a gold standard diagnosis for candida overgrowth. Mm-hmm. So I really want to just throw that out there to your listeners. Yeah. Especially because there's so much confusion on the internet about this. Yeah. I don't I don't diagnose candida any of those ways. I just do a stool test and see if they, you know, if they've had it. And honestly, when I was 17, the reason I got into natural medicine was because I got really ill. I had been taking antibiotics for years, you know, for my ears and stuff. And uh, I had an infection and I had to take two strong rounds of antibiotics and I got, well, candida. But they didn't know what it was back Mm -hmm. then. It was kind of like nagging and I got really sick. And so I had to change. Um, I went to this like naturopath in town. She was kind of like the witch doctor, you know, but no other physicians could help me. And she said, yeah, you've got candida and you've got, you've got to do this. And she gave me this list of foods and it was like no pickles, no onions, right. no vinegars, which are all fermented, right? right. Like um, nothing with vinegar. And then of course, you know, no sugars at all, no processed foods at all, none of that. And put me on a bunch of supplements and it, I actually got better. But what I found is, is that that's a very hard diet very difficult diet to stay mm-hmm. on. It's like you're eating veg. It's like a hunter gatherer diet and no sugars and stuff, you know, and when you're told that and you're 17 or 18, you know, you can't have beer, you can't have alcohol, you can't have, 
a hamburger. Yeah, I mean, it was I like I just I just challenge the very premise of it. Like I feel like yeah. it's a very sort of like handed down folklore. Like you just can't have any of this. Now I will say that there are, of course, going to be some people that don't that aren't going to tolerate those fermented foods. But I just can't stand making these blanket statements. Yeah. Like everyone th- with candida can't have fermented foods. I think candida and what I've learned in my own personal experience and watching it clinically is that I think it has to do more with the sugars and too much heavy sugar consumption like tons of fruits and tons of fruit juices and um, and a bunch of processed flours and, and bread, which is sugar. You know, mm-hmm. anything that's going to go into just like a simple sugar, supposedly, you know, candida kind of thrives off that stuff. And, and I also think it's because that somewhat decreases immunity in a way where, you know, then the body's not able to maybe fight these as well. And you got to figure like most people are eating tons of sugar. Yes. What was it, uh, you know, at a talk I went to the other morning, it's like, hundred years ago, the average person ate like one sugar cube a day. And that was like a luxury. And now the average person eats like two boxes of sugar cubes a day just Ew. through their food. I mean, it's insane, Gross. right? That's because sugar used to be like a luxurious commodity. And nowadays it's like cheap and, you know, um, whatever. But I think like the sugar is the bigger piece of it. And the fermentation, even if it's sugary like kombucha, the fermentation changes that sugar. Yeah. That's what I feel like. So having that grouped into like, you know, don't eat candy bars and yes. um, loaves of bread all day. Well, yeah, that makes sense. But the fermentation, don't drink anything fermented. Well, it's changed the chemical structure of that food. And that I think that the, you're, you're feeding the microbiome in that case. You're feeding them in a with fermented foods, you're feeding them in a positive way. Right. And I think the misunderstanding is that what these anti-fermented like people are saying is like, if you, if you introduce bacteria and wild yeast, like you're going to further the yeast growth right. when that's not actually true. And you actually mm-hmm. want more beneficial organisms to help crowd out the bad guys. Mm-hmm. So for people that are listening, I would say give small amounts of fermented food, if, if these people have candida overgrowth, because we somehow got from what's like a normal entry <laughs> right. point to candida overgrowth, but I would, I would have people with candida check it out, small amounts, and see how their body responds. Right. And if, there's, if it's not making things worse, I would say add them in. For folks who are just starting out, a couple bites right, of something fermented or a couple sips of kefir, water kefir, kombucha, Mm-hmm. And then work up from there. I myself drank about eight to sixteen ounces of kombucha a day with several big bites of um, all different types of fermented stuff. We have this really cool. Um, they're called Gnomestead. There are these people, this like crazy gnome-like people that come up from Virginia and, <laughs> and sell <laughs> sell their wares at you know cobblestone farmers market in my hometown and. They do all different types of styles from Southern to Korean to Indian to yeah. all. They like go around the world and um, super scrumptious. So I eat wow. a ton of that as well. One of mine and Ryan's favorite, you know, if we, we don't live next to a Whole Foods, thank God, because we'd be <laughs> broke. But when we go anywhere, a nice grocery store, we just love the fermented section, like the kimchi yes. and the, the pickled carrots and beets uh, are the fermented stuff. 
and people are <laughs> sometimes we're visiting people or like opening up these yummy bottles of kimchi in their kitchen. They're like disgusting. What does smells that like, smell? It smells like garbage. <laughs> and uh, we're like we're eating fermented food. <laughs> so that goes kind of in this thing is like with anything like healthy diet. This this idea of food introduction. Yeah. How early should we be introducing these foods into a person's diet? And yep. we learned this week a friend of ours did a presentation on pediatric constipation of all things but she talked about fermented foods and introducing them mm-hmm. and how literally introducing these with food introduction in babies yeah like at six months dr and caitlin o'connor dr caitlin she she just you know talked about even if that's like a spoonful of sauerkraut juice yep. mixing yep. it in and you start introducing what that also does is that introduces a more array of foods into your microbiome as a yep. child. So you actually are building your immunity um, <clears throat> by right. having more food. Cause I think what is the average American we're eating like the same, like 30 foods or less over and over and over right. again. So we're not getting that diverse. Yes. That's a good point. So all the different bacteria feed on different types of fibers. They feed on different types of foods. And so the greater variety of your diet, that contains these greater variety of fibers, you're going to have a more diverse microbiome. Mm-hmm. And like in any ecological or social structure, diversity is like that key against ruin. Because if something were to go wrong, right? You have the potential for really compromising the entire, mm-hmm. the entire ecosystem. When there's multiple different strains, and we're talking about thousands of different strains in the microbiome, just right. Thousands, so it all works together. So yes, by introducing these types of foods earlier, you are not only inoculating beneficial bacteria, but then you're also feeding the guys that are already there. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very cool. And this is this is a big problem with the use of antibiotics at a very young age, mm-hmm. right? As we, especially if the child's maybe the way they were born and they weren't introduced to their mother's microbiome, let's say this or that, and maybe they have to take large rounds of antibiotics as a child and they're not eating a wide range of foods and they're not getting fermented foods. And then they're not even maybe getting probiotics when they're taking antibiotics. And then you're wondering why when you're older, you have leaky gut, you can't digest your food. You Mm -hmm. have all these, you know, you have environmental allergies and and asthma and eczema. and And so like, the whole, I, the whole, like, the whole last, you know, 50, 60 years of just extensive antibiotic use for everything um, is, in a way, really destroying a lot of that. So, it's, yes. it's another really important reason to be adding fermented foods into your children's diet, into your diet, so yes. that you're getting that biodiversity because antibiotics are indiscriminate killers. So not only will they kill bad guys that create infection, they'll also kill your good guys. Mm -hmm. When you have lower numbers of good guys, then it makes it more likely that bad guys, fast growing opportunistic bad guys are going to move in. And then you're again, decreasing diversity, you're decreasing those beneficial numbers. And then yes, you're setting yourself up for a variety of acute and chronic health conditions. Right. And, and, and we also know that your microbiome is very, very smart. These bacteria, which live within us, you know, or like you said, like we are more bacteria than we are human is like, they're very smart. And so what they start to do is they start to figure out how to live, especially when they live in an environment where they're not fed well, right. And they're maybe being killed and they're trying. So they start adapting to that again, where we see antibiotic resistance, you know, people dying of things like 
they shouldn't be dying of because there's not even one antibiotic that will work anymore for them. Right. And that's where it gets kind of scary. So this is where the balance comes in, right? And I talked with Dr. Ingalls and with Lyme disease about this because they use tons of antibiotics with Lyme disease treatment, some, some people do. And this whole idea of their microbiome being basically their immune system just being so destroyed that it's like the side effects are worse than the Lyme disease. They, you know, the, the destroying the entire microbiome. Well, and- I always would, I would always have people take megadose probiotics alongside yeah. of antibiotics because yeah. the antibiotics are not going to kill the probiotics and the probiotics yeah, are not going to reduce, they're not going to reduce the efficacy of the antibiotics. So when I have any clients that are going on antibiotics, we essentially double up their probiotic intake for a period of three times the length of the antibiotic course. So if someone's on, say, just seven days for ease, seven days of antibiotics, I'll have them on like a mega dose, like 200 billion CFUs of probiotics for three weeks. So it's a rumor because patients will ask, well, why should I take the probiotic when I take the antibiotic? Mm Because it's going to kill it. No, Is that a so, rumor? no, it's it's not. I mean, that's actually so. Probiotics are shown in the literature to decrease the side effects of antibiotics, like antibiotic-associated diarrhea mm-hmm. and Clostridium difficile infection. So it's not even like a rumor. It's just like based on nothing. It's mm-hmm. like not even based on great logic. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's it's not true. Like it doesn't. It, the antibiotic is not going to kill the probiotic, and the probiotic is not going to reduce the efficacy of the antibiotic. But it is going to reduce the side effects of the antibiotic. And that's very well documented in the literature. You can go on pubmed.gov and type in probiotics and antibiotics. Great distinction. Super important. Because a lot of people are like, I don't want to take it while I'm taking it. And it's like, let's take it. Especially depending on the dose and what they're on. You know, there's a multitude of different antibiotics that are, some are more brutal than others, right? Um, Okay. So tell me what your favorite fermented foods are. And then Tell me a little bit about your fermentation class and let's talk a little bit more about kombucha and some of the other like... Yeah, I'm a kombucha junkie. So about three or four years ago, one of our one of our clients did a, uh, a CSA and they brought over a SCOBY for us. And I've had that SCOBY going this whole time. So I've had these several years to really experiment with all different types of kombucha, and I love it. And as you know, I've recently, I'm, I'm building up my kombucha class right now mm-hmm. that's going to take folks through the entire process, recipes, like troubleshooting, and then all the stuff that we talked about, like the history of it, health benefits, talking about the small intestine bacterial overgrowth and candida and all of that type of thing. And now, then, is that going to be a local class or is that going to be like an online class? It will be online and then I will run in-person classes too, but Sweet. it will always be, it will, everything I do pretty much is online too. Okay. So everything, all of that will be online. And then it takes folks through that secondary fermentation process, which is what everyone's really interested in, which is like flavoring kombucha. Right. So um, shall I give a recipe there? Like my technique? Of course. So let's say that we have our batch of kombucha already brewed up and it's ready to go. Like it's just plain kombucha. It's finished. It's been inoculating with a SCOBY for two or three weeks. So you like the way it tastes. So I am this sort of junkie for like very deep, robust, like fruity flavored kombuchas. So I have these three liter lay parfait jars. I don't know why I focus on this type of jar, but it's a, it's nice thick glass and it has those tops that have like the rubber stopper that snaps in and makes a really good seal. 
Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. So I always brew up two gallons of kombucha. So then I get these this three liter Le Parfait jar. And I'll fill up my Le Parfait jar. I'll give you the recipe for my blueberry lavender one, which is my favorite. Mm. I fill it up with about a bag of frozen blueberries, so like 24-ounce bag of frozen blueberries, and three tablespoons, two to three tablespoons of lavender buds, right, like dried lavender buds. And then I pour the fresh kombucha on top. And I leave, you want to leave like very little headspace, like and half an inch at the top, right? Mm -hmm. Then you seal it and pop it closed, and you leave it out on the counter for two to three, two to three days, two to three nights. And that's it. And then at the end of that, you're going to see it's all effervescent. It's all bubbly. It's this like gorgeous purple color mm-hmm. because the kombucha acts like a solvent and it pulls all those plant pigments off the berries and into the liquid, the kombucha itself. So it's a gorgeous color. It's bubbly. It's effervescent. And you strain that whole thing off into another clean jar because you don't want like the blueberries and stuff in there. You strain it, yeah. I strain it with like a silicone. You don't want to be sucking big pieces of lavender down. No, no, no. (laughs) And it just yeah. So you strain it all off, and then it's absolutely delicious. Mm. You compost the other stuff, and it's blueberry lavender. And I make that one all the time. And and by doing the secondary fermentation, not only you're just like greatly increasing like. The flavor, you can get your like creativity on, but it's another way to deliver all those beneficial plant compounds from the stuff that you're making the secondary kombucha out of, which in this case is the blueberry and the lavender. But you can do ginger, you know, turmeric, all the berries, all the fruit, vegetables, cacao, like, you yeah. know, so many things. And the kombucha will take out those pigments, those plant pigments, all the antioxidants, like all the beneficial organic acids. So it's it's a fabulous supplement to, I think, most people's diets. And I've noticed with that second fermentation is that it makes it more bubbly. Yes. You have more ferment. It's like, it's it's more carbonated, yes. really. And people, mm-hmm. people enjoy that. When yep. I make it, it's like my girls like it a little bit more because it's more like drinking a soda. It's almost like a soda. Bit. Yeah. And, uh, and a trick for that is keeping that headspace, again, really low. Because if you do your secondary fermentation, you leave all this space, all that carbon dioxide is just going to dissolve out into the air by filling it almost to the tippity top. So when I say headspace, I mean like the space in between the top of the kombucha and then the lid. So very little headspace will make more, leave more bubbles in the liquid. And remember, she's also stating like she's taken the kombucha away, you know, like she's the first time you're going to drink it, you take your scoby out and now you're going to drink it. So she's pouring that over the fruit and there's yes. no scoby anywhere. There's no scoby. And you don't have to put it in the fridge. No, it stays right? out. No, it the fridge. outside. You don't want it in the fridge because right. the fridge, the coldness will slow down those microorganisms. Right. Right. So you can just, people worry about that. Like, yeah. is it going to go bad? But again, this is kind of back to that history. Yeah. That's won't. why people fermented is because when you do that and you leave it out, remember they didn't have refrigerators and stuff and they were putting it in cool, warm places even. Yeah. And that fermentation starts creating that bacteria and that's yes. what's making it. So you, these are healthy, strong bacteria that are going to kill any bad guys. And really it's extremely obvious if there is any, mold, right? Because that's a big thing. So people always freak out because the scobies look really weird. Sometimes they can get these big white spots on them. Mm -hmm. They can get like bubbles in them. They can get like craters in them. There's like this, all this long stringy stuff. There's like brown blobs and this and this, and that's all totally normal. Anything that is like a dry poof, that's mold. If it's dry, it's mold. Anything that is rubbery or wet, is the SCOBY and is normal. Right. So I know a lot of beginners, right? Because it's intimidating. 
It's like a little bit intimidating. It feels weird. It's gross. And like, yeah, what if I get like botulism and die? Like, no, it's it's not going to happen. Mold is very, 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 oh, very Oh, I had obvious. mold on one of my first scobies. It's totally obvious. It's like, it looks like mold. Yeah. And it's dry. It's That's dry the main and you're thing. Like, what is that? That looks like mold. It's mold. So throw it out. Don't use it. It's not to be saved. Right. And they say even if you had babies from that, just throw it all out because the babies, even though if you can't see them, they may be moldy. So it's not even worth it. It's just, but you know, I have, uh, I had one SCOBY. Oh my gosh. I killed that first one with mold. I got another one. I've been given SCOBYs array left and right. And I had to quit making it for a while because I have like seven SCOBYs now and they're all just making love together in this <laughs> big pot until I decide to go make my next thing. But I mean, you can have an entire like production center going on of all different kinds <laughs> yeah, of no kombuchas time. because every single batch you get a new baby. Yep. So that's the thing with kombucha, you know, make a lot of friends, make yep. sure you have people that will want to take them and make stuff with them. Otherwise, you know, you're going to have a... A bunch, but you could like Jillian, you just got a kitchen full of different concoctions going on. I mean, you just, I just compost the scobies or I give them yeah. away. Right now, yeah. I'm actually saving mine in what's called a scoby hotel because I do want to do a couple in person classes. So I'm saving oh. them, you know, like yeah. sending them to friends. Like Jacqueline yeah. wants one, so I'm going to send one to Jacqueline. Yeah. Just in the mail. Yeah. I mean, there, it's, it's really fun to do it and it's, it's actually very easy. Uh, we have the recipe on our website. Uh, if you go back and the recipes kind of when we first started the podcast, there's, there's a podcast on it and there's a recipe on the website and it goes through everything you need to do to your utensils, how you need to clean it. And remember, that's really important when you're transferring your scobies and, and cleaning and making new batches. That's where the mold is usually introduced. Something was your hands weren't clean or one of your utensils wasn't clean or whatever. So I always just wash with soap. I don't actually use soap. Soap destroys the scoby. So I clean out the jars really nice hot water and I pour a little white vinegar over it like a disinfectant and rinse it out. I do that with my hands. I just wash my hands with hot water and then I put a little bit of white vinegar on my hands and I just rinse it off. And then if I'm going to grab the scoby or anything, I make sure my container I'm going to put it in has been kind of like disinfected with the vinegar or whatever. And I only do that because I've been, I have introduced mold. I did something where I wasn't paying attention and I introduced mold and it sucks because you got to throw it away. Yeah. And you're like, oh, and it's like a living organism. You right. feel kind of bad. You know, it's like you're killing your plant. <laughs> like you set your planet on the deck well, and it's scorched to death. And they you're are. Like, oh, you know? they, they are pretty sturdy though. They, they are, are pretty yeah. sturdy. They're sturdy, but once they get mold, it's like... It's so sad. So um, you can find that recipe and the directions on there so everybody can go back there. Um, give us your information again so people know where they can find you and if you're going to do your kombucha class. Like, all right. All that. So I'm Jillian Tita, Dr. Jillian Tita on Facebook. I have the Facebook page, Fix Your Digestion. Mm-hmm. My website is fixyourdigestion.com or jilliantita.com. Mm-hmm. And I have all kinds of like information and blogs and yada 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 and then i love instagram right we've been instagramming and insta storing a lot this weekend and my handle there is at jillian tita okay and i have a book natural solutions for digestive health available on amazon which i think a lot of we've given them away we have lots of uh listeners who have bought in your book and uh so yeah obviously you guys all know dr jillian she'll be a regular on here (laughs) but uh Okay, that's fermentation, everybody. So go out and eat some more fermented foods. Make some kombucha. Make some kombucha. Any questions, you know, you can PM us or uh, email lampers at stealthyhunter.com. All right. Thanks, Jill. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to the Hunt Harvest Health podcast. 
If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit our website at huntharvesthealth.com for more podcast stories and recipes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hunt Harvest Health. You can also message me at stahealthyhunter, that's S-T-H, and I will be more than happy to answer any questions you might have. Also tag your photos, Hunt Harvest Health, or Get Stealthy, as we enjoy seeing what you guys are doing as well.